guys, welcome back to season two of Songwriting Saves the World. If you are currently listening on Spotify, then you can download the episode, you can follow us, you can like it. All of that is really appreciated. If you're listening on iTunes, you can basically do the same thing, but additionally, you can leave a comment and a review, which we would love to hear your thoughts. Hopefully good ones, only good <laughs> ones. If you don't have something nice to say, keep it to yourself. <laughs> and if you're listening on SoundCloud, you can also like and follow and comment. Or do all of the above. Yeah, do all of the above. Get every single podcast streaming service and just do it all. Yeah. Be an overachiever. Deezer. <laughs> do it for your girls. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to keep up with us on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Songwriting Saves the World. Yep. On Facebook, you can like our page at Songwriting Saves the World. Yep. You know the drill. Get mom, dad, cousin, brother, aunt, uncle, Fish, dog, dog, hedgehog, <laughs> skunk. I don't know. <laughs> and you can also follow us on Twitter at Song Saves World. I promise we're getting better at posting and interacting. So go on there. Ask us some Anique questions. Is, I, don't, I don't mess with Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about all social media. So if you want to hop over to Instagram, ask us some questions. Or Send us a DM. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. We want to we want to talk to you. And if you really really like our show, you can follow us on Patreon for just $4 a month. You can become a patron um at Sorry Saves the World on Patreon and you get extra content from the guests and merch like laptop stickers that are so cute and soon to be sweatshirts. So, we'll hop into this interview with Branja Ringo, who is the coolest. the coolest woman you will ever hear talk over a podcast. <laughs> I was going to say me. And then I was like, that's not really how this works. But you'll feel like <laughs> you've met her. We did. It was an honor. And it really was. We hope you enjoy. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Songwriting Saves the World. Today we have a really special guest, Branja Ringo. We'll do a little bio so everybody knows. Branja Ringo is the senior director of A&R at Warner Chapel Music. She was recently named one of Billboard's 2020 R&B slash hip-hop power players. Since joining the company in 2018, she has signed and worked with many multi-platinum writers and producers, including Pierre Bourne, Jay Lauren, T-Minus, and Nova Wave. So many cool people. Prior to working at Warner Chapel, she was A&R manager at Universal Music Publishing Group for seven years, where she signed and worked closely with top superstars like Lil Yachty, Neo, Metro Boomin, and more. And she's gotten placements for artists such as Quavo, Young Thug, and Mine, and has signed songwriters who've written for everyone from Drake to Post Malone. And we're so excited to talk to you, Super so thank excited. you for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a little icebreaker for you, and it actually yeah, uh, aligns perfectly because you work in A&R. So mm -hmm. we wanted to know a song that you love that you think is underrated. Okay, this is a shameless plug, and the song was just <laughs> released. Okay. But Layden Green, who signed to Quality Control, just released a song that was written and produced by Nova Wave. Cool. And it's called Chosen One. And so that was a song that I actually pitched. Mm -hmm. But the lyrics, the song is so good. Like, I feel like every woman can relate. Like, it's mm -hmm. called Chosen One. Mm -hmm. And you think that initially, just listening to the title, you would think that the song was talking about, like, being the chosen one. Like, that being that one lucky woman, right? Mm -hmm. Or man and it happily ever after. 
But what it's saying is I'm the chosen one to get back at you for all the karma you've done to all the women in the past. That's smart. I love that. <laughs> Scary. I Very love smart. that. I Very love clever. It's, it's so clever, right? And so not only is the song cleverly written lyrically, but melodically the pocket the pockets are great mm-hmm. and it's just a really good overall song so it was just released less than a month ago nice and um yeah i love that song so much that's super oh, cool everybody go check it yeah, out yeah everyone go stream it everybody <laughs> check it out laden green's chosen one and it was written and produced by nova wave cool. yeah so can you start with giving us a background of your kind of music and business journey and how you got to where you are now Yeah, so I'm from St. Louis originally, and I've always wanted to work in the music business Mm -hmm. since I was a kid, and I always knew that I would be in the business. I remember remember a very profound moment when I was in the bathroom, and I was probably like 10, and I remember thinking like I was going to live in LA, and I was going to work with Immature. Like, this is back when like (laughs) Immature was like everything, like... They were like the, mm-hmm. my favorite boy band at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just remember knowing as a kid, like, I'm going to be in L.A. and I'm going to be working with them. I mean, yeah. of course, time goes on and like, you know, acts almost as if they were never going to grow up and do other things. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I remember just having like the confidence back then, like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And pursuing just other musical um not careers, but like, you know, I played a marching band. I played saxophone. I played alto saxophone. Cool. I played I tenor. I play saxophone. Oh, I love it. I play alto and I play tenor. I played tenor and marching band. And then I also, um, I study voice, classical voice, actually. Oh, cool. And hmm. so um, I play piano. Um, I picked up a, the guitar, but I never was really serious about the guitar for whatever reason. Because by the time I picked it up, <laughs> I was in college and it was just too busy. So it's over. Um, yeah. yeah, it was over. One day I got to figure it out. I see you have two guitars back <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> so I've always just been into different things musically. Um, and at one point I wanted to be an artist, but like I don't have what it takes to be an artist. So it was never a huge passion of mine, mm-hmm. but I've mm-hmm. always had um, a lot of fire just built up inside of me of just like having to work in the music business because I've always felt like I could help in terms of artist development. Like, And yeah. so I went to school for music business. I went to Columbia College in Chicago and I studied music business. But before that, I just... The idea of going to college to work in the music business didn't really sit completely right with me. So I ended yeah. up st- <laughs> I ended up studying um, audio engineering initially. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I did audio engineering for like a year and a half. And I went from like recording engineering to like sound for music. I was just trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. And then... I came to my senses probably my sophomore year. Yeah, it was my sophomore year. And I was like, I'm kidding myself. Like, I need to just do music <laughs> business. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. I should just do it. And Columbia yeah. has an amazing music business program. And most people go to Columbia because of the, um, you know, they just want to network. So mm-hmm. um, that was one of the reasons I went there, too. Like, it was like a big deal. Like, if you graduated back then from Columbia, it was almost like you're a loser. Because, mm. <laughs> because you were supposed to network so well that you never yeah. graduated. Yeah. <laughs> and so I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> and so after that, um, well, while I was in college, I had 
various internships. And one of the internships that I had was working with Nellie's management company at the time back home Mm -hmm. in St. Louis. And so the drive from St. Louis to Chicago is about four hours. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. this particular summer, I went back home and I remember thinking like, oh, I procrastinated. There was no real reason for me to stay in Chicago. So I went back home. I procrastinated and I waited to the last minute to look for an internship. And I was sitting in a nail (laughs) shop. I was getting a pedicure and I was talking to a friend. He was like, yo, man, you should just call them. Like, just call them. And I was like, I don't even know Mm -hmm. anybody. And so, you know, I had like the notion of like, you have to know someone to get in the door. Mm -hmm. Right. And I knew someone, but it just didn't pan out that way. And that person ended up getting really sick. And so I was like, okay, I'll just call, um, I'll just call them. So I remember just like Googling the phone number and I called and they answered. And I was like, hi, I'm inquiring about an internship, you know, with your company. And they were just like, I'm so sorry. We have fulfilled all the positions. And I was like, okay. But the lady continued. Her name's Dana Randolph, who is like one of my favorite people in the world. (laughs) And she's like, "Um, but, you know, send me your resume. She started talking to me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And during our conversation, um, I guess she saw my resume. I can't remember if I emailed her resume while we were on the phone or if she, if, if she called me back. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so um, on my resume was the NCNW, which is the National Council of Negro Women. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking about that. And so she started asking me questions. And coming to find out, her aunt started the organization, which is basically no like no the <laughs> yeah. So it's basically like the the women's version for the NAACP. Mm-hmm. And so, um, based off of that, she got me the job. And so I, I started that. interning. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's so awesome, right? And so I started interning, and I did nothing for the most part. Every day, <laughs> I went into the office. And I did absolutely nothing. I'm like, hey, you guys need any help? It was like six of us. So it was like, they have more than enough help. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I um, I worked there for about three months that summer, maybe like two and a half months. Mm-hmm. And so we would have different events or whatnot that we would assist in. And it was like an entertainment, sports entertainment company. Because mm-hmm. they, at the time, they were representing um, football players, different sports athletes or whatnot and so it was kind of cool just to be on both on both sides I don't have a real interest in sports like that I'm very athletic but like music was my thing mm-hmm. um, and so I was working just a little bit and so towards the end of the internship I remember um, being like damn this is my last day like I haven't I haven't uh, moved the need moved the needle <laughs> like I wanted to and so like because you know it's like the end goal like this is it like when I leave here that's it that's that's my relationship. Yeah. I'll be back in college. And um, the owner of the company, we share the same birthday. So we had that in common. Mm-hmm. And so um, Dana was like, you know, it's Brandra's last day. Um, at that point, Dana and I had an amazing relationship. And so she's like, it's Brandra's last day or whatnot. Um, and so he started, we started talking more. And so that day, the last day is when we started a better relationship to like forever wow and so (laughs) and so they ended up getting me a meeting in new york at universal records it was universal records at the time which is now republic Mm -hmm. records Mm -hmm. and i met with the head of the company who's monty lipman and 
you know, I'm in this meeting, like, he's like, so what do you want to do? I'm like, yeah, I see you guys have director's position. Like, I want to do that. Mind you, it's not really coming out of college. <laughs> I mean, it's achievable, but it's not really realistic, right? Mind you, I have no experience. And so, like, <laughs> um, I met with him, and then he ended up introducing me to some other people mm-hmm. in the universal system, and I ended up working in the 10th department like I was a temp right Mm -hmm. so whenever a job would come up within Universal Music Group which is the largest music group um they would notify me because at that point I was a priority I had come through highly recommended Mm -hmm. so I ended up um hearing about a job with Shakir Stewart who unfortunately passed away and I, I worked with him and Tony and him Tony is he was he's formerly Nelly's manager he and Tony were friends and so it was a coincidence, like he called him like, hey, you know, I have this, I have a, a, an assistant here who is applying for the job. Did you know her? And so obviously with relationships, um, you know, they knew each other and they said great things and I got mm-hmm. the job and I worked for Def Jam, which was my first like major music company that cool. I worked with right out of college. Amazing. So it was really dope. Um, it was an amazing time because like. Rihanna will walk in the building. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. So Happy I learned a lot. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, it was full of superstars. Like, everybody there was a superstar. Um, and so I remember just learning so much information back then, being in the building and just listening to conversations. Yeah. Like, when you're coming up in the business, you will learn the most just by listening. Like, just mm-hmm. being a fly mm-hmm. on the wall. And so... Um, I ended up working at Def Jam, and then after that, I worked briefly with Usher, I assisted him, and then I got into publishing, and I did, like, a temporary assignment at ASCAP, and I was like, this is what I really want to do. Like, I want to work with songwriters yeah. and producers, because for me, you know, I have, like, a creative background. Um, at one point, I did write songs for, like, myself and some friends or whatnot, mm-hmm. but I'm like, without songwriters, there is no music business. Snaps and to that. Songwriters, <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? Songwriting, songwriters, including artists, um, are the only reason why there is a mm-hmm. business, right, or why there even is music. So um, I was very adamant about working with the creators because I wanted to be a part of what came from nothing, yeah. right? Um, so I was like, I want to work in publishing. And afterwards, I remember getting this call about a job, and I remember telling a temp agency, like, I remember not wanting to call anybody and check about jobs, because I was just like, oh, I, I had a little pride back then, you know? I was being prideful, and I was like, I won't ask anyone. I'll just go back through the temp agency, but I was very adamant about what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so... I was like, I want to work in marketing or either publishing if you guys don't have any jobs in those mm-hmm. two departments. You know, I'll have to respectfully pass. And I was, I felt very confident about that because I wanted to make sure that um, my vision was clear and I yeah. stayed on task, right? I don't know why I said marketing. I am not a marketer. <laughs> I am a music person, like, <laughs> like music person. So um, I ended up getting a call to work for Ethiopia, Habsamarium, and Jill Shagel. And so they were at Universal Publishing at the time. And so I assisted them. And a year into the job, probably two months into the job, or three months, Ethiopia asked if I wanted to relocate to L.A. And I was like, oh, of course. I love L.A. I never wanted to. I, Ten years I never, one step closer. 
I know, right? I never wanted to be in New York. I hated New York. I think deep down inside, I was intimidated mm. as a kid by yeah. New York, you know? Mm. L.A. just felt so, like, it just felt welcoming mm. more than New York. Feels more laid back. For sure. And so I've always just wanted to be there. Mind you, you know, my bathroom scene, I had a vision yep. of working yeah. in the chore when I was a kid in L.A., so this has to come to fruition. And so... um I ended up relocating to L.A. back in 2012, and I assisted Ethiopia for a while, um, maybe like five mm-hmm. or six years. And then after that, naturally assisting her, I was able to work with so many songwriters because mm-hmm. she had signed damn near all of Atlanta. <laughs> and <laughs> like literally. And so she had signed so many writers and producers and had put so many plays together that naturally I was a part mm-hmm. of so many things and I got to build relationships with so many different people. So I had a roster of my own as an assistant. And um I kind of grew into just being an AR before I officially had the job of yeah. being an AR. It was kind of cool. Um, and then naturally, you know, I got promoted and then moved on to Warner Chapel. And so here we are. Wow. That's a great story. It's an amazing origin story. I'm sorry. It was it's it it was a long story. I try not to leave certain things out, but yeah. No, we live for origin stories. That's the whole <laughs> reason why we started this podcast. Okay. I awesome. love that you said um that the most you can learn is from listening to people's conversations because mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's our entire goal here. I mean, we were like, we're locked up in quarantine. We can't listen to other people's conversations, but we can have <laughs> some of our own. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. No other smart. So I wanted to know, as a really accomplished woman in music, have you had any instances throughout your career where things felt more challenging or you felt more pressure to prove yourself because you're a woman? I have felt more pressure to prove myself because I'm black more so than being a woman. Really? Mm. And I work a lot in pop, too. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes there's just a stereotype that, like, if you're Black, you only do urban, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm always, you know, having to prove myself that, like, I have an ear. Like, I'm from the shit. Like, yeah. I do music. I study music. Like, I am a music fanatic. Mm-hmm. So good music is good music to me. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's just this battle of... Um, you know, just the stereotypes, like, you know, oh, like if you're a white girl from wherever in the suburbs, you can't know rap. Mm-hmm. Like that's not necessarily true mm-hmm. at this point. Music is music is pop, like urban music is pop. Right. And yeah. so everyone is kind of coming up on it. And um, you know, some great songwriters can make songs in any genre. Mm-hmm. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And so, yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, because that was really <laughs> related to another thing we we're going to ask you, which was about when you're looking to sign writers, are you looking for a specific type of writing? Like, do you go out being like, I'm looking for someone who writes pop or I'm looking for someone who has a lot of range or are you mm-hmm. just looking for something that moves you creatively? Naturally. I'm looking for someone that just moves me creatively mm-hmm. and that has the talent that is just like the raw talent. Yeah. Um, and that can transcend into almost any genre. Yeah. But you do have songwriters that are very trendy and then you have songwriters <laughs> that have the raw talent and they fall into being trendy and they kind of lose the mm-hmm. authenticity about themselves. So 
a, you know, a great songwriter can write any song. Like, you can have someone produce around it and yeah. make it be whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I say songwriters, too, I, when I say songwriters in this instance, I'm speaking of lyric and melody people. Mm-hmm. Um, on the production side, that may vary. Like, you might just be good at pop or you might just right. be good at, you know, country or urban or whatnot. So it just, it depends. But I think a, a lyric melody songwriter um can transcend a really really good one yeah I agree I kind of wonder like sometimes there are writers like I think about Ed Sheeran who obviously is an artist also but you can tell when you're listening to a song he wrote for someone else even if it's not Mm -hmm. his voice singing it and I'm like that's Ed Sheeran that's Ed Sheeran phrasing that's like his vibe that's everything so like is that something I mean it's probably not good or bad because like every artist is individual but like if you're a writer who's writing for other people, is that something that's that's good and cool to be able to, that you're so distinctive in your style? Or is it kind of like being versatile and being able to really write for what's going to make like an artist's voice and persona shine? Is mm-hmm. that better? It just depends on the individual's personal goals. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. And there may be a phase where you want to go through that signature um, yeah. sound. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, back in the day, producers like Timbaland, Pharrell, like they had a sound. They still have yeah. sounds. And when you hear their sound, you know exactly what it is. I don't necessarily get that as much these days mm-hmm. in terms of some it being a certain person's sound. But we're also in an age where there are so many different types. There are so many people doing the same thing. Yeah. I think back then there weren't as many people. There weren't as many producers in the business per se. It was harder to get into and to break into. Yeah. Um I don't think one is better than the other. I think it just depends on the individual and their personal goals. Yes, definitely. Makes so sense. some people can be very versatile. Obviously if you're versatile and flexible, you can do many mm-hmm. things. Um but some some per a particular artist may want one sound to be cohesive. Yeah. Right for their projects, so it might be good to have that person that's consistently making the same type of sound. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So, as an A and R, how involved are you in the development of an artist or songwriter when you sign them? And do you mm-hmm. usually notice a type of learning curve for writers when they start, or do they usually kind of hit the ground running? Mm, every individual is different. There is There's no songwriting boot. It's camp. case by case. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's case by case. Um, certain people, when they sign, um, going back to the first part of your question, mm-hmm. um, I want to be as involved as I can. Yeah. Right? That's the whole reason I'm here. I'm, I don't want to be a corporate signer where, like, I'm just signing things because they're high. <laughs> like, like I said before, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in it, you know? I want to be a part yeah. of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there is like artistry, even in on the executive side with that, like development, like we get off on that, like making things happen, connecting yeah. the dots. And so um, it depends on the individual on how much they want us involved. Sometimes when we're really early signing an artist before the label signs them or before they receive huge notoriety, mm-hmm. um, we have that advantage. But a lot of times when you don't and you come in later and, you know, it may be later after like the world knows about them, you may not have that mm-hmm. advantage, right? Because they've already developed um, or created their team and the people that they're comfortable with. So it's really case by case. Um, 
in terms of development on the songwriter side, yeah, it's just, it, it can go either yeah. way. Yeah. I've kind of wondered, like, I don't know how do I phrase this, but like, <laughs> when there's a writer, you said like, they may have like met the people that they and um, kind of built a team and people that they're comfortable working with. But do you think that that goes for mm-hmm. like collaborations? Like, do writers usually kind of constantly work with new people or do you get like some some pairs and some groupings work really well and you're like that's just consistently like they always write together so at the beginning especially during the development stages they tend to do the speed dating thing right Mm -hmm. and so we're putting them in with various writers various producers and it can get (laughs) hectic I hate it actually and I know they hate it but it's kind of like you gotta you gotta get a feel for who matches or supplements mm-hmm. your talent. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't think a day of working with someone is yeah, really enough. It could be enough if if it's a no, you could be like, hell right, no, right, right, right. Put me in with this person again. Like it was like, horrible. Awful session, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but a lot of times, if it's a good fit, you may not be able to tell mm-hmm. just off of one session because you still have to like get along to know each other first right Mm -hmm. and so a lot of times the writers and producers are only working one time and they may not get back in again they may get back in Mm -hmm. three months later a year later a couple years later but at the beginning in most case scenarios from a publishing side in terms of like what we do we are pairing them with various people and we want like I like to say, well, work with this person for like two days at least, and they may not want to because <laughs> no. they like I may not like this person, and so I encourage yeah. it. Um, but it's not always like, but it takes time to get to know someone and to figure out, you know, exactly um, yeah. what makes sense. Once you get into a groove in a writing session, I feel like it's great. Once you really know yeah. someone, so that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, but I also think that. Yeah. I don't know, like, in my experience, sometimes, like, you were saying it can take, like, a few days, and that's absolutely true, except if it's, like, a hard no or, like, a soulmate match. Instant, like, I've had a yes. few, yeah. like, sessions where I'm just, mm-hmm. like, instantly, I'm, like, wow, I'm gonna be friends with this person forever. Like, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. like, no. Yeah. And that does happen. That does happen often, for sure. So... On this podcast, we talk a lot about um, minority representation in music and how we can help Mm -hmm. support women and people of color and queer people in music. And so Mm -hmm. as someone who kind of has the power and like the agency to diversify writing rooms or to find new artists, is this something you think about and how are some ways that you do that? Mm -hmm. For sure. I think about it every day. (laughs) Um, I like to hear (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean, I'm a black woman in America, so I think about being black several times a day, you know, unfortunately. But um, I try to be intentional. A lot of times it's not immediately possible. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, like, I remember uh, someone reached out to me recently about putting a camp together, a producer Mm -hmm. camp, and they sent like 10 names. And it was a guy who sent it, and, you know, no shade to him. He's like a, a, a little brother mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. But there were no women on the list. Mm. And I was like, we should make sure that we have some women. He was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> like, you know, he wa- he wanted the yeah. same, but just naturally. Mm-hmm. As a man, he's not thinking about diversifying um, sex-wise. And so um, I'm always making sure that, like, genders are equal as much as they can be because 
when you really think about it, there are not that many female yeah. producers. Yeah, it's, it's just not the case, unfortunately. And so even on the songwriting side, you, you, t- you typically find women that are creators. They tend to songwrite. Right. And so that, that can happen. But then I'm like, well, there are no black songwriters mm-hmm. here, you know? And so it just depends. Each day, the scenarios are different. Um, it's not, like I said, immediately possible in every scenario, but I'm always thinking about it. I'm always thinking about how we can make it better yeah. and diversify. Mm-hmm. I always wonder, because I've done like a handful of like songwriting camp type things, and I feel like there's, a like I went to like Grammy camp like two summers ago, and there's a lot of like, girls and like women songwriters at that level kind of like at the intro level Mm -hmm. but then going into more professional spaces I was like this number gets fewer and fewer and fewer when like before it was the majority and I always wonder like Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have an answer for this it's kind of a bigger cultural question but like (laughs) but just just, like where does that happen like why is it that they're that me and Anik met at an NYU songwriting workshop and it was almost all girls. And so I think there was like, guys. yeah, there was barely any guys. So where does that, but I know that like there's, I s- might've seen this on the, she is the music, like Instagram or something where it said that, yeah, the, the stats. stats that there's like 12 or like 11% of songwriters are female. And I was like, where did mm-hmm. that transition happen? Where from like amateur to professional and then suddenly there's no women left there. So you said this was with Grammy, was this with Grammy U? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's awesome because maybe your generation is embracing the culture of songwriting Mm. from a woman's standpoint Mm -hmm. more than they were before. Right. Um, And hopefully it doesn't fall (laughs) off as drastically as it currently is. Right. Hopefully those numbers increase. But I don't know. That's an interesting perspective. Mm. Um, That would probably be my guess. Yeah, you know, saying that you know maybe your generation is more likely to not give up and to pursue it, especially since we're advocating so much mm-hmm. for women's rights. Yeah, um, and there seems to be more opportunities and organizations like yeah. she is the music. Um, so you know, people see the support now, um, but it's difficult. I think just along the way, songwriters who are women probably give up because of how they're compensated mm-hmm. and producers get fees songwriters typically do not get fees it was probably hard to just survive in Mm -hmm. general you know um you can be a songwriter and you can have placements and never receive a penny Mm -hmm. that whole year for it so I imagine that it's very difficult to just sustain a living definitely we've had um I think we've done this will be like our 38th interview or I don't remember, but we've we've talked to a lot of people on this show and we've talked to a lot of women who either are producers or people have said that they are like thinking about it. And they're like, oh, I want to. But like, I don't know. And then we always like we like yell through Zoom. We're like, Mm -hmm. do it, do it, do it. Like you should do it. (laughs) Please do it. it. Yeah. Yeah, you should. You have to really seek them out, I think. I think that just from, like, NYU camp and stuff, meeting a lot of female songwriters is one thing, but I feel like I haven't met a lot mm-hmm. of female producers. And um, right now I'm working on an EP, and I was, Sasha was like, we should only have, like, you should only have female producers on it. And so it's been, like, yeah, seeking hard out to find. female producers. And, like, yeah. yeah. It's, like, really I will say going this. through Instagram and 
Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying that it's been harder than I thought it would be to find more female producers. Mm-hmm. And it's been yeah. like networking through friends and finding one producer and then another and then kind of trying to yeah. find my way like that. What I've learned is that a lot of producers, female producers, they have dabbled. And so they they know how to produce. But I think it's one of those skills that you need to work on every day mm-hmm. and they may not work on it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Lauren, who is someone that I work with, who's an incredible songwriter. She's a producer as well. Nisha, who's an incredible songwriter. She started off producing. And so, you know, it's just, I I think these women, um, have what it takes to produce, but it's, it's very rare to find a great songwriter in general, male or female. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people tend to Mm -hmm. go the route of producing and I think that if you are great at being a songwriter, mm. you should stick to it because it's always hard to find great yeah. American melody writers. Yeah, that's so interesting, the the dabbling thing, because I'm producing a song off of Anique's EP. And I I remember mm. asking, asking you, Anique, if I could do it because like I have produced my own music just for things that I put on SoundCloud and just kind of working on it and projects that I've made, but I never like produced something that was going to be put out officially. And I was so like the imposter syndrome really kicked in because I was like, Oh, like, I don't know if, I don't know if I can do it. Like, tell me if you don't like it, like very like insecure about it. And I was like, Sasha, stop. Like you have been producing, like you've been, you've been learning how to do this for years. And so it's very interesting. The kind of, I don't know. We were speaking to this um, really cool songwriting producer named um, Megan. Yeah, Dervin Ackerman, Megan? and she and we were joking about how like Logic or whatever die you're using, like it's so complicated. So what what point can you say like I know how to use this like officially? I know every like everything Logic has to offer. And she was like, when mm-hmm. you've built your own DAW, like when you've literally programmed your own DAW, is when you can say. That. And she was kidding, but that's what it feels wow. like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're always learning. Yeah. You're always learning. They're always updating. They're always adding. Yeah. You know, they have add-ons or whatever. So I imagine the plugins <laughs> get a bit complicated over time, too. So that's why people have, yeah. like, their set ones that they use. But, yeah. Yeah, You exactly. never want to stop learning anyway, so. Yeah. <laughs> so we did an interview last year with Monique Edlet. And she gave us a word of advice and told us that everyone is reachable. Mm -hmm. And that message really inspired and set the tone for the podcast this year as far as how empowered we felt to reach out to amazing people like you and kind of believe in ourselves and our message and our abilities. So we wanted to know what the most influential piece of advice you've ever received was in regards to your career. Oh, gosh, that is like the hardest. Um. The most influential advice I've ever received. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say specifically for my career, mm-hmm. but just in general. I love the quote, play the game, then change the mm. game. I like that. I love that. Um, J. Cole was not the initial person that said it, but I remember when he did say it, it really resonated with me. And, you know, the change that we want to see is oftentimes difficult for people to perceive. And so sometimes you kind of have to play the game, understand all aspects in order to change it because you kind of have um, um, a better perspective in how to navigate things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, you know, you probably will have more power in that mm-hmm. too. So a lot of times people come in out the gate 
trying to change things and it's not as receptive Mm -hmm. from whoever they're trying to get to change. But sometimes you just have to just sit in the cut, you know, observe, let people learn you Mm -hmm. first. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you change the game. Right. Yeah. And so it's not my favorite quote, but it's one that stands out to me. Um, and I said something at the beginning that we were talking about, always being a listener at the beginning stages. Yeah. Um, there is so much information to gain from conversations of people that you will be around the music business very early mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. And later in life in your career, you end up being the person that other people listen to. So don't take for granted those conversations where you are a listener yeah. because they're going to be so profound. Yeah. I love that, the being observant thing. And I think that we've talked about this before, but even creatively, like being observant is one of the things I've noticed is most helpful to like writing good songs. That like if you want to, I mean, learn about the music business or if you just want to make good art, being like having your ears open all the time. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah, be a sponge. Because yeah. listening to other people, you're going to like have more stories and more perspectives than you could ever get from like just your life or just yourself. Yeah. And I have songwriters that don't listen to music on the radio mm. at all. Really? Because they don't, yeah, they don't want to, some of them are just, they grew up just in, you know, different backgrounds to where they just never listened to certain type of genres or anything really. And mm-hmm. they don't know who's hot. They don't know what songs are hot. They yeah. don't keep up with that. And they just create. And sometimes with that, you know, kind of, Speaking against what I said, um, you can come up with something really cool and you're not as influenced either. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you are authentically yourself, there's still going to be something to shine out in terms of like it being different. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's a really beautiful note to end on. That's all our questions that we have (laughs) for you. Thank you so much. So much. No, thank you guys. This is so cool. Congratulations (laughs) on your podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, guys. Thank you for listening. That was the coolest conversation. Brandra is amazing. Yeah, she's so cool. She's so smart. I feel like I got like carried away with questions. I was like, we had the ones on the dock, and then I was like, wait, but like, I have someone said this thing about Ed Sheeran, and like, I. Like asking every question I've ever had as a songwriter. Gotta get them all out. Please. Got to get them all out right now. Rapid fire. <laughs> if I have a chance, <laughs> I'm going to ask. <laughs> no, but I love that. Me too. She was just so cool. Very insightful. And such a interesting story. Very inspiring. I feel like like a lot of the women we've talked to have kind of just talked about having that like fire and like like ambition from the time they were young. The when she was saying like I just knew like when I was like ten mm-hmm. I had this vision of this is what I was gonna do and then the confidence to just like call and be like can I get an what internship are the internship opportunities yeah exactly and just and and ask for things even if like you might initially think that you're not qualified mm-hmm. or that you couldn't do it be like no 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 ask anyway yeah. go get it anyway because I mean we say it all the time it's freaking quoted on our Instagram you got to start before you're ready. Listen, I feel like everything I've ever done, I've done completely unprepared. <laughs> I think it's the best way to do things. If that's any, if there's anything I've learned, it's to start before you're ready. And I think that I it's proven true time and time again. Yeah, it's really true. And I, I thought of um, when she was talking about the 
listening to other people is the best way to learn thing. Mm-hmm. I was like <laughs> restraining myself from telling the Cara Diaguardi story mm-hmm. where where I was at at in Nashville at, at a writing camp where that she was hosting and I was sitting there having lunch and I was late to lunch. I, I've told you this story, Annie, but, mm-hmm. but for the, I was late to lunch. So I was sitting there alone. Everyone else had already had lunch and I was just like eating my sandwich and she's in the kitchen chatting with this dude who I don't know. And I'm like, like, oh my gosh, what are they talking about? Whatever. Let me eavesdrop. I mean, they <laughs> obviously know I'm eavesdropping because I'm sitting right there alone, not like on my, my phone or anything. To the, <laughs> the to the kitchen. And then they start talking about writing and, he tells this hilarious story about how um, Wobble, no, Wiggle, about how Wiggle by Jason Derulo was written. Mm-hmm. And the whole story about how, like, they put a bunch of words in a hat and then, like, had a race to see, like, who could write, like, a song based on a word that they pulled out of the hat, like, fastest. And then he, like, pulled out the word Wiggle and he just immediately was like, Wiggle, Wiggle, Wiggle. <laughs> and then everyone else was like, They're like, hit song, done. They're like, this is done. That is the best story i've ever heard from from listening to other people from eavesdropping and like i wanted to say it hours in writing sessions literally like, pull a word out of the hat <laughs> we should do that sometime we should i Maybe wanted that'll to be say the it. one that breaks, breaks yeah, that'll be the one the that charts. works but then i was like um she's a professional keep that to yourself Sasha. that's true <laughs> i definitely think that listening is the best thing that anyone can do and i mean it's the best place to do it on a podcast. Just yeah, put your earphones on or your headphones on and sit back and listen to the wise Take words a listen. of Ranger Ringo. Exactly. I mean, that's why we do this, to give some info to the people. I mean, we're trying to learn and we're also trying to teach you guys as well. Yeah. As we go, bringing us all together, the whole lot of us. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Well, that's all for this week. And we'll catch you next week with another incredible interview bye right now.